Welcome to Near Death Experience Podcast. I'm Chaz Hathaway. You'll have to forgive my voice today. I've seems to have caught uh, some kind of a cold, so it's probably going to be sticking around this week. Uh, one of the unfortunate side effects of doing a five-day-a-week podcast is that you don't get days off, <laughs> at least not very often. So um, I'm going to go ahead, and today we're going to share the experience of Anthony from the Near-Death Experience Research Foundation website. And uh, to those of you who haven't been listening for a long time, uh, the there are many sources for near-death experiences on the internet. I mean, they're literally everywhere. People have had these experiences all over the place. However, you may notice that I quote more often from enderf.org, the Near-Death Experience Research Foundation website, than anywhere else, simply because, as far as I know, it's the largest repository of near-death experiences on the planet up to this point. And it aims to be that. It, it, it's a place that is um, put there, or, or that was founded, in order to give people a place to share their experience in a non-threatening, non-invasive sort of way. Which is why you have so many that are just one uh, first name. Not, you know, no last name. It'll often give an initial or something in order to separate it from all the others with that same last name. But even that breaks down with the thousands of experiences that are listed on here. And this site, as far as I can tell, has no uh, religious um, uh, preferences or non-preferences. So you have everything from people interpreting their uh, experiences from a strictly Buddhist point of view to a strictly Christian point of view to a strictly, you know, Southern Baptist point of view, whatever, you know. I mean, you get, it, people are, are free to share their experience in their own contexts, which I think is important. Um, and while the site itself does not push to any particular field, because, I mean, you have people saying they came out of their experience not believing in God, and many uh coming out of their experiences saying, I believe in no religion, or I believe stronger in my religion than I ever did before. So you've got the gamut as far as uh, where things seem to point in bias ways. You know, the individuals um, that post their experiences may be as biased as they choose, but the site itself, because it is so expansive and uh, and uh, comprehensive in the number and volume of near-death experiences, it tends to be um, just very uh, uh, unbiased as a whole. So you get all kinds of experiences. Anyway, at the risk of wearing out my voice before we even get started, here's the experience of Anthony. I had just gone to my bedroom at 9.15 in the evening I had turned my alarm on for the next morning and sat on the bed when I had a massive heart attack. I fell back on the bed and tried to call out to my parents, but didn't have the breath. As the heart attack increased in severity, I found that I couldn't move. This part was entirely conscious. As I blacked out, I guess through lack of oxygen, I heard a voice in my ear. The tone and cadence of the voice was one of absolute caring and total calm, which was in stark contrast to the panic I was feeling at not being able to breathe. The voice was not mine, 
And it told me not to worry. It was going to look after me, and I was to follow it. At this point, I left my body and was looking down on myself, lying on the bed with my eyes open. I was now totally calm and unafraid. The voice told me it wanted to show me something, and I felt myself traveling very fast toward a light. As I went through the light, I found myself flying into another world. Everything in this other world was made of what I can only describe as liquid light. Everything was alive. The ground, the mountains, even the sky. The voice was still with me and during this experience never left me. It told me that where I was was the real world and that I had a job to do whilst I was there. I alighted on the side of a bare earth mountain. There were no trees, grass, or rivers, etc. There was light everywhere, but no sun. The light seemed to come within everything, even the air. On this mountain, about halfway up, was a large boulder. On the boulder was a glowing golden brick. I now know this must, how this must sound. The voice told me that I was to build a garden on the mountain and that every year a brick would appear on the top of the boulder. And with the bricks, I was meant to build a path up the mountain from the base to the boulder. I was told to plant trees that appeared as acorns, etc. at the top of the mountain. I was there for a very long time, in which time the voice was always present I never felt alone, and I never questioned why I was there. I was totally at peace, and feelings of absolute joy and unconditional love pervaded me the entire time. I knew that the voice was the most trustworthy person or thing in the universe. As the years passed, I watched the trees grow. The flowers and grass I planted also grew. The color of the flowers weren't of any color I have ever seen here on earth. Like there was 20 different colors in the rainbow there. I couldn't describe them as there's just no frame of reference to what they looked like. I was taught a lot of things and was able to, for want of a better phrase, see into people's souls and understand in an instant all the ramifications of all our actions on each other, that anger is born of fear, and many other teachings about what I now think of as the human condition. Then I saw everyone on the planet interconnected on these lines, and a feeling of such overwhelming love and empathy went through me, I felt like my heart was going to explode. The last brick appeared on the boulder some 2,500 years after I had first arrived. I was aware of every year. This was not dreamlike. It was real time, if that makes any sense. The path now stretched from the base of the boulder, but over the years the boulder had gradually changed shape and now looked square like some sort of altar. The trees I had initially planted had grown, the boughs and branches had arched, the trunks thickened to form what I can only describe as a temple 
at the top of the mountain. The voice told me that the first part of my job was finished and I now had to set foot upon the path. I went to the bottom of the mountain and put a foot on the path. At this point, the most searing, unbearable pain tore through me, but the voice told me not to step off the path. I asked what the pain was, as it wasn't physical. It felt like, and again this sounds bizarre, but it felt like a spiritual pain. The voice told me that it was the pain of the least sin I would commit against my own soul. It was conveyed to me that this didn't mean sin in any religious sense, but specifically it was the pain of the wounds to my own soul that I myself would commit in my lifetime. I continued up the path and each time I stepped onto another brick, the pain was worse than the one before, until nearing the top, I told the voice I couldn't finish. The voice was kind and patient and said it was with me and that I would finish, but I needed to learn the lessons it was teaching. I got extremely angry at this point and asked why I had been brought here for all this time in order to experience such terrible pain. I continued to the end of the path with the encouragement and presence of what was now I understood to be some higher spiritual being. I reached the entrance to the tree temple, went inside and saw the only other being I saw the entire time I was there. It had its back to me and was kneeling as though in prayer. I was angry again and rushed up to this figure saying that I now knew that everything was real so why did I have to experience all the pain? The figure stood up and turned around and it was indescribable a being of perfection and what I can only describe as made out of pure love. I knew that this was the source of the voice. I was dumbstruck after all that had happened and could now only say, I can see you. The being touched me on my cheek gently and said, and now you know. It is time to go back now. I was also told that the garden I had created would exist there forever and I would return there one day. As I walked with the being back out of the tree temple, I saw for the first time other people coming to the garden and sitting on the grass, looking at the flowers, talking and laughing. The being smiled and said, See what you've accomplished here? I felt completely overwhelmed, but I was then immediately transported back into my body, which I immediately felt as being incredibly heavy and cloying and almost unnatural. The asthma attack had totally passed, and I checked the clock, which said 9.23 p.m. The entire experience had taken about eight minutes from my initial attack to being back. I've never reported this before, as I guess most people would say it was an hallucination, 
I can only say that it was more real than anything I have experienced in this world. That is the end of Anthony's experience. And wow, wow, that's all I can say to start. Wow. And while the experience itself is both unique and traditional in a lot of ways, the thing that wows me about it is the time frame. I mean, get this. He says that it was 2,500 years that he was there. I'm sure plus or minus a few dozen or something, but 2,500 years in his mind, in his experience, it felt like real time. He says it was real time, if that makes any sense. It was not dreamlike at all. It was real time, 2,500 years that he was there. And even, you know, he starts out in this bare landscape. It was it was a mountainside with this bare landscape, and he plants a garden and trees, basically creates a forest in the time. I mean, in 2,500 years, you could do all that. But all of this took place in earth time in eight minutes. Eight minutes extended over 2,500 years. I don't even know what to make of that, other than to say that time is irrelevant. You know, we've talked about that. We've talked a lot about how, you know, if if you're talking about time and you're talking about spiritual things, it's a non-issue. And again, I have to remind myself of that because if you spent 2,500 years, that's that's like, you know, if you go back 2,500 years from now, that's like the time, I mean, that's before the fall of Jerusalem in the Bible. That's, you know, I, I'm i trying to think what else was going on in 500 B.C. I mean, <laughs> 500 B.C. until now. That's how long it felt or not felt. I mean, he was counting the years. He was counting the time. I'm not sure how. I'm not sure. You know, it had something to do with the boulders. Uh, the time passing, it seems. But but remember, you know, I, there's no absolute rules in terms of, okay, so time passes, you know, 30 seconds per year or whatever. You know, nothing like that. There's nothing like that. It's a non-issue. And yet, his experience was a 2,500-year or 2,500-year uh, experience. That's astounding to me. Astounding. And the fact of the Spirit's memory being, as far as I can tell, perfect, is probably the only reason that he didn't wake up saying, who am I? Where am I? What's going on? And how do I speak English? You know, I mean, you would think in 25 years he would forget. But remember the Spirit mind, the Spirit memory in some level, is perfect. And, you know, while this sounds like, I mean, I wouldn't call this a hellish experience because he thoroughly enjoyed every minute of it, from what I could tell, up until suffering the pain of, of you know, as he's starting to walk on the boulders and feeling the spiritual pain that had something to do with 
something akin to sin, um, as he put it. The, uh, you know, these would be sins, but not sins in any religious sense, he says. I don't know what kind of sins he's referring to and what kind of pain he's referring to, because he says it wasn't physical pain. It wasn't a physical pain, but it was a spiritual pain. And he describes the whole thing as being peaceful and loving up to that point. And yet, he's, he has no one else with him except this voice that is always with him, that is always communicating with him. He never feels alone. And he never questions why he was there. He was totally at peace. And he feels this unconditional love. And yet, he's working on building this forest garden temple because the trees grow into this kind of temple formation, which is beautiful. I mean, I want to do that someday. I don't know if I want to spend 2,500 years alone doing it, even if, even if with the presence of this voice. But, but, I mean, how cool is that? And yet, it's so unique. He doesn't encounter any other persons other than this one being whom, for the first 2,500 years of it, it's just a disembodied voice, you know, just a voice. And yet it's a wonderful experience for him, and he's loving it. And this garden that he creates for himself, you know, this is another example also of how the, uh, and, and I want to have an episode devoted almost entirely to this, this uh, question of metaphor versus reality in the spirit world, because there is so much to say about it. I mean, this is clearly some kind of symbolic thing. I mean, he spends 2,500 years building this stone tree temple path, you know, to a tree temple, and and just he creates this whole analogy for himself. And then as he walks along it, he has to somehow um, atone in a way for sins that he would create in his mortal life. And what is meant by sins, he does not ever seem to specify. But there's some kind of payment for what he's done. And yet, he spent 25 years in joyful, blissful um, work. I mean, work is what this is. And then, finally, encounters face to face this being who has been this voice in his head for all of this time. He says he's dumbstruck at seeing this face and he said all he can think to say, all all that all that there is to say in in some spiritual sense was, I can see you. And the being touches him gently on the cheek and says, And now you know it is time to go back. I mean, I imagine this is an example of of spiritual messages being conveyed. You know, the best translation we can give is those that he gave. And yet, there's this whole package of meaning and feeling and everything behind it, clearly. Because he's absolutely astounded by it. And then, you know, as he's walking with the being back out of the tree temple for the first time since coming to the garden, he sees other people 
coming to the garden and sitting in the grass, looking at the flowers and talking and laughing. He's made this beautiful place. And finally, people can come and enjoy it. And the being f smiles and says, see what you've accomplished here. And he was completely overwhelmed with the feelings. And he says, in that moment, he's transported back into his body. <laughs> wow. Eight minutes where he experiences 2,500 years of joyful work and some bit of painful atonement of some kind. I, I hesitate to use the word atonement. I just don't know what other word payment for sin of some kind. What that means, I don't know. It's clearly this very metaphoric situation that he really had. And then he's back in his body. And he says he doesn't tell people about this because they're going to think he's crazy or that he's hallucinating. Understandable. Wow. Wow. Fascinating. If you would like to support the podcast, you can do so by going to patreon.com slash ndecast or going to neardeathexperiencepodcast.org, which is our home page, home website, and uh, clicking on the link support the podcast in the menus you can also contact the podcast either to share your experience or to uh, uh, ask a question or share a comment and you can do that by going to near death experience podcast at gmail.com i'm sorry emailing near death experience podcast at gmail.com or by calling 970-NDE-CAST and once again, thank you all of you so much for listening. Bye.